bi-weekly podcast going in-depth on pro-life news and issues. I'm your host, Chris Gast, RLM's Director of Communication and Education. Happy Friday, everybody. Well, I was wrong, dead wrong. Um, When I left you three weeks ago, uh, Neil Gorsuch was on the way to his nomination, and I told you I don't think there would be a, a filibuster. Well, he was filibustered. I didn't think he was going to be filibustered just simply because of what many Democrats had said uh, and most of all just the strategic incompetence of it because the Republicans had generally indicated uh, the the kind of moderate Republicans who might not be willing to vote to get rid of the judicial filibuster indicated they'd be willing to do that. And so there's nothing really to gain from the Democrats by by having that filibuster fight then. And um, really, Gorsuch isn't going to change the balance of the court from what it was when we had Antonin Scalia. So why do that fight now? Why not do it later when it's closer to the election? Well, anyway, they decided to filibuster him. The, the Senate Democrats did. For what? I don't, I don't know. Um, so really, it couldn't be a better situation for the pro-life movement because we went from a place where if Hillary Clinton would have won, all of our laws could have been overturned in a single case and the pro-life movement's legislative agenda would have been on life support until I was 70. And now we're facing a situation where We're one or two votes away from overturning Roe v. Wade, which we'll get into uh, later on as a feature of our podcast, but one or two votes away from overturning Roe v. Wade, and all we need is a Senate majority vote to do it. And we have a president who's been nominating, uh, nominated a great justice, Neil Gorsuch, it seems, and who's been willing to do it again for the next three years, and we have a pro-life majority in the Senate for at least until the 2018 election and probably the next two years beyond that, just because there's so many seats up that um, it'd be really hard to conceive of the ability for uh, pro-abortion senators to get a majority in the Senate. So this is really happening. That's it. It couldn't be a better situation for us. Now to to switch gears a little bit, um, there were a couple news stories that broke that were all um, positive, you could say, but as as again, and we're starting off again with the Cree Irwin case, it's hard to see it as entirely positive when the reality is a woman is dead, her child is dead, and a family is is grieving, and and another one her one-year-old son is left alone, but... Um, there was a press conference uh, protest uh, in front of the Planned Parenthood in Cree Irwin. Three of Cree's brothers were at the protest, and the press conference that they held managed to get the Kalamazoo Gazette to request the full autopsy report. If you remember, we got a copy of it that was heavily redacted, and um, not in terms of the amount of words redacted, but everything involving the abortion was completely redacted from her autopsy report. 
Well, the Kalamazoo Gazette was able to obtain a completely unredacted version, and so we can tell exactly what happened in the case of Cree Irwin's death. Uh, the important details are that Planned Parenthood in Kalamazoo did botch the abortion. They left Cree Irwin with a 4-centimeter perforation of her uterus. Uh, a complete, the cut was completely through the uterus. And also... They left remains of either her child or the placenta inside of her. Uh, As the hospital records we were able also to receive from the Irwin family um, helped lead us to that conclusion. The the doctor at the hospital said that there were products of conception left inside of her. So Planned Parenthood in Kalamazoo botched this abortion. This wasn't some sort of mm, freak accident on some underlying medical condition. They they perforated her uterus and uh, didn't complete the abortion. And these serious complications, um, specifically the fact that she was clotting, she was bleeding internally, they were not apparent or detected at the hospital. And again, she died from blood clots that traveled to her lung. So we know all those facts, but there's still more to the story to come as uh, we'll see if Planned Parenthood's abortionist is held accountable for this botched abortion. Also, in the abortion industry, we discovered that Grand Rapids abortionist Thomas Gordon has had his license suspended by Lara, and this is a really big deal. Um, As we have talked about, Gordon has an extensive arrest record in Michigan, and he did not let the state know as he was required to. And so he got busted by our Department of Licensing and Regulatory Affairs for that. So we'll talk about suspension first. Uh, So he is suspended until he can complete uh, a form of rehab for doctors and fine $10,000. If he doesn't pay the fine and complete rehab in six months, he has to reapply to have his license reinstated, which um, I've been told is an extremely difficult, long, annoying process. And so um, this is very positive. But on the other hand... When you look at his record, how anyone like this could practice medicine in Michigan and how any woman could feel safe in his abortion clinic under anesthesia is beyond me. So just listen to some of these details. So back in 1991, Gordon was convicted of aggravated assault. Um, He's off the record, off the criminal record uh, for a while. Uh, But then again, in November of 2011, he was charged with felony assault with a dangerous weapon. Then he later pleaded guilty to misdemeanor domestic violence and possessing a weapon while under the influence. Now, that was just shortly after in 2010 that his wife filed a personal protection order against him, alleging that Gordon beat her several times and put a gun to her head while she was sleeping. Uh, In 2015... Then, Gordon was convicted of disorderly conduct for fighting, jostling, and operating under the influence. The disorderly conduct charge was uh, sort of a plea deal. Um, What was originally the issue was domestic violence. And so um, what we can tell is, and you look at some of the police reports and other information, he has uh, alcohol problems. So we're in a situation where this doctor is an alcohol abuser, violent, And his wife has accused him of pointing a deadly weapon at her head while she was sleeping, beating her. 
and this is a doctor in that could still be in good standing if he completes rehab and pays a $10,000 fine. But for the time being, um, it'll take effect a couple days from now, and that means abortion, uh, surgical abortions will not be taking place in Grand Rapids. This is the only surgical abortion facility in Grand Rapids. The only other facility that does abortions is the Planned Parenthood uh, in town, which does RU46 abortions. But this will be an extremely positive move, and hopefully uh, women will be made aware, if he does get his license reinstated, women will be aware of this is the face of the abortion industry in Grand Rapids. And indeed, this is the face of the abortion industry everywhere in the country. Because this stuff is not an isolated incident that happens one time. This stuff, again and again, abortionists are the worst of the worst, the bottom of the barrel. Whether that's because... um, that's the way they are and they got attracted to the abortion industry or whether that's what and my personal theory would be that's what abortions do to a person it breaks a person even person who is completely in favor of abortion you know i i don't believe deep down they can completely ignore what they're what it is they're doing and so you know as we put it in the press release he was either he was never fit to practice medicine in the first place or he should recognize, Gordon should, that the heavy personal toll from taking thousands of lives in the womb has led him to commit violence against women outside of the womb as well. Uh, a bit of positive news, um, more upbeat. President Trump signed legislation changing Title X funding rules, specifically letting states defund Planned Parenthood and how the Title X money is distributed in their states. Um, not the biggest deal, especially if we can defund Planned Parenthood on the federal level, but this was a regulation, again, that the Obama administration put in at the last minute, um, right before leaving office. It's good to just get it off the books. Um, and defunding Planned Parenthood on the federal level might be back on the agenda. There are rumors going around that uh, this Friday or this weekend, new text for a Obamacare repeal and replace uh, or amendment process, whatever you want to call it, um, will be released to House members and that there may be a vote next week. And uh, all indications are that defunding Planned Parenthood will remain part of that legislation. So we could have a vote as soon as next week on defunding Planned Parenthood in the House. Of course, it needs to go to the Senate, and there might still be a messy process. Were these changes enough to get um, enough votes? You know, we'll follow it as it goes, and we, of course, will keep you informed of any important changes. Okay, let's get into our feature of the day. Uh, what is Roe and what is Doe? Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton. These Supreme Court cases were decided on January 22nd in 1973. Uh, they're companion cases decided the same day. They're meant to be read together. Um, first, uh, just a quick introduction to it. Um, most people, uh, if you're a pro-life veteran listening to this podcast, you already kind of know the basic details. A lot of people, most Americans, really don't. They really just believe that the effect of Roe v. Wade, and they've never even heard of Doe v. Bolton, um, but the, the effect of Roe v. Wade is to legalize abortion in the first trimester. And in their mind, it's usually for important reasons like rape and incest or life of the mother is at risk. But that's not what the decision actually did. The only reason Roe v. Wade does well in opinion uh, polls, as we've talked about, is because people just don't know anything about it. 
Now Roe v. Wade, what it does is sets up a trimester framework. In the first trimester, a state really can't do anything to regulate abortion at all. A woman's right to abortion is practically absolute. In the second trimester, uh, women can have an abortion. It's, it's almost an absolute right. The state can do a few little things, but it can't really do much. In the third trimester, and this is where a lot of the confusion comes from, it said that uh, the states can completely ban abortion, except in the cases of you know life of the mother's at risk or the health of a woman. Now, this is where health comes in, because Doe v. Bolton decides or gives the Supreme Court's definition of health. And health can mean anything. Your social, economic, psychological health, uh, familial, psi, I mean anything impacts health. Health can be anything. And therefore, states can completely ban abortion in the third trimester unless a woman has a reason to have an abortion, in which case they can't. So really, it's a little bit of slight, sleight of hand to make people feel a little bit better. Um, but again, it's just a a loophole designed to be a loophole that means anything. So, Doe plus Roe equals abortion for any reason through all nine months of pregnancy. Now, um, in 1992, there was a Roe was going to be revisited. Ronald Reagan had a couple Supreme Court appointments. A lot of people thought that it might be the end of Roe v. Wade. And the case was Casey versus Planned Parenthood. What the Supreme Court ruled was, um, you know, on the, positive on the one hand that they gave us a lot more latitude to enact pro-life regulations. A lot of the laws that we take for granted today, you know, like parental consent and whatnot, were made possible by Casey versus Planned Parenthood. But they upheld the core holding of Roe v. Wade. They changed it slightly so that instead of first, second, and third trimester, you have the point of viability, which is now a kind of a floating thing and is no longer tied to you know whenever you say the third trimester ends. That's when uh, states have a lot more latitude to ban abortion. But of course, they kept Doe. States can't ban abortions based on health reasons. And again, health can mean anything. So let's get a little deeper into this. Just to be frank, I mean, Roe, v. Roe and Doe are judicial garbage. Just garbage. Um, here's a couple of quotes just to highlight that. Uh, Lawrence Tribe is a pro-abortion legal scholar, very well known. He said, quote, One of the most curious things about Roe is that behind its own verbal smokescreen, the substantive judgment on which it rests is nowhere to be found. Unquote. So Lawrence Tribe just said that there is no legal judgment in Roe. They just legalized abortion. Uh, here's another quote. This is from Will Salatan, who is a pro-abortion journalist. He said, quote, Blackman's papers vindicate every indictment of uh, the case. Invention, overreach, arbitrariness, textual indifference, unquote. So what he's saying there is Justice Harry Blackman, who wrote Roe v. Wade, in his papers, if you read them, you'll see that the case was basically invented, goes completely beyond uh, the realm of judicial legal reasoning. Uh, it's completely arbitrary. He just decided to do it. There's no good reason to do it. And textual indifference. He didn't really care about what the law said. He really didn't care about anything. Roe v. Wade is just Harry Blackman saying, yay, abortion. There's no other way to sum it up. 
legal scholars will try to make uh, sense of it, and we'll try to make a little more sense of it in a minute. Um, but it's really important for pro-life people to understand that the league, the law doesn't matter at all. Uh, what this was is just sheer will to power with no pretense of justice. They wanted abortion, and so they got it. And indeed today, uh, you look at Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for example. Justice Ginsburg says that Roe v. Wade is you know, not decided direct, uh, correctly. It's used poor legal reasoning. But again, it doesn't matter because in the end of the day, Justice Ginsburg wants abortion, and they're going to construct any you know, manner of gibberish to make sure that they get the result they want. This isn't justice. This isn't the legal process. This is just raw power, the raw exercise of power of unelected, very important here, unelected officials who have absolutely zero uh, sort of oversight from we the people. We can't vote them out of office. We're stuck with them for life and they don't care what we think. Again, Roe v. Wade is just complete garbage. It overturned the laws of all 50 states. And at the time, uh, in the late 60s and the early 70s, pro-life, pro-abortion forces have been fighting. Some states, their laws, their pro-life laws have been weakened. Uh, just before Roe v. Wade, some states, uh, New York revisited their pro-abortion laws and and so it was It was a fluid situation, and for a time there it looked like uh, abortion supporters might win. And then at the, as it went on, it looked like, oh, maybe the pro-lifers might win, and we'll go back to our uh, place where the laws of all states protected unborn children. But then seven justices, it was a seven-to-two vote, just decided to give us legal abortion. Now, what was their legal reasoning? We'll give them... I don't want to say the benefit of the doubt, but we'll we'll follow their legal reasoning just for a moment. This is a very important quote. Uh, this is from the case Griswold versus Connecticut, and this was a few years before Roe v. Wade dealing with contraception. And uh, Justice Douglas, in that case, explained that uh, the right to privacy, which is how we have abortion, comes from penumbras formed by emanations from zones. Penumbras formed by emanations from zones. Here's the actual quote from the case. The foregoing cases suggest that specific guarantees in the Bill of Rights have penumbras formed by emanations from those guarantees that help give them life and substance. Various guarantees create zones of privacy. Well, if you read the Constitution, you won't find anything in there about abortion, obviously, but you won't find anything about emanations or penumbras or zones of privacy. Now, what Justice Douglas was getting at there in that part of the decision, uh, from that sort of flowery, magical language, was that certain parts of the Bill of Rights create uh, a implied right to privacy. For example, um, you know, search and seizures, uh, quartering of soldiers in your home. Um, there's implied, he would say, a right to privacy in there. Well, now he would say, expanding beyond that, there's these zones of privacy and that they cast shadows on the wall and from these 
emanations that come out of these zones, you can see a penumbra, which is like a shadow on the wall. And from by reading the justices, by using their crystal balls and reading the tea leaves, can form from these penumbras actual decisions. And in Griswold versus Connecticut, that's what they did. And then Roe v. Wade used that sort of, as Lawrence Tribe said, non-existent legal judgment to decide then that right to privacy includes the right to take the life of an unborn child in the womb. Now, if these legal arguments don't make any sense to you, it's because they don't make sense. They're not designed to make sense. They're designed to get the result they want. And so, that's why, moving forward, you look at someone like our new Justice Gorsuch, who so firmly believes, as he said before, that judges should not be doing this sort of thing. Judges should be deciding things based on the law. Uh, The Constitution survived for decades upon decades upon decades, um, where all of these provisions in the Constitution were perfectly compatible with states protecting the life of unborn children, um, these penumbras and emanations and zones and all that other gobbledygook uh, was really created for the purpose of giving us abortion on demand for any reason through all nine months of pregnancy. And so really, that's what Roe and Doe are. So, moving forward with the new Supreme Court, There'll be another chance to revisit it, and hopefully, what we won't get uh, as we did in 1992 with Planned Parenthood versus Casey uh, upholding it, or simply just uh, upholding it and then letting a certain pro-life regulation or two pass. Hopefully, the justices will come to their senses and realize that Roe v. Wade is the worst decision in American history, completely devoid of any legal or logical sense. Uh, no one can legitimately, with a straight face, defend those decisions on a legal basis. Now, on the pro-life side, we ultimately recognize that the Constitution is silent on the issue of abortion, and silent um, silence goes both ways. That's why our end goal, once we can get Roe v. Wade overturned, once we can really build a culture of life, is to have a human life amendment added to the Constitution clarifying that unborn children are valued. Sort of a 14th Amendment for the unborn child. Um, that way it's clear and unambiguous. And so that's our the end goal. Again, that's, that's down the road. Um, a lot of people need to realize that uh, when Roe v. Wade falls someday, there's going to be a lot of conflict still about that. And for the first time, because for the first time in you know two generations practically, people will be asked to have a real say on the issue. But we shouldn't be afraid of that result. We should we should welcome it, and it'll be giving us many opportunities to protect the life of unborn children moving forward. All right, that's all the time we have for this edition of Life Beat. Join us again in two weeks. Our feature will be looking more at Harry Blackman and why it is that he wanted to create legal abortion. Why did he decide Roe v. Wade and Dover Spolton the way he did? Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful weekend.